We've been walking through um, the book of Exodus after the Lord has brought his people out, out of Egypt. And for those of us, um, we got some kiddos in here today, and so I want you to know this. Okay, God's people were in captivity to Egypt. And that, that Egypt, the one with the pyramids and the pharaohs and the hats with the cobras on them, that Egypt, okay? And God has brought his people out, and he has saved them, and he is bringing them to a place with everything that they need. He has taken them to this promised land, this great place. And he is leading them by a cloud in the day and a pillar of fire at night, and he's taking them where he wants them to go. And so here's what we got. The, the New Testament tells us that this stuff, this story, especially the Exodus story, is given to us to help us not sin and as an example for us how we might walk in faith now that we trust Christ. So these stories are true, and they show God what, how God's worked in the past, but they also provide us like a map to where we need to go for the future. I don't know if you've ever used a map before. Most of the time, we're not using maps anymore. But if you've gone to the Nashville Zoo, has anybody ever been to the Nashville Zoo before? When you go to the Nashville Zoo, um, as soon as you check in, they give you a map, okay? Now, we have, we have been season pass holders for a couple, couple years. We don't need the maps anymore. Except for this. Now they've opened some new exhibits, and they've got new roads, new little winding paths, and I've gotten lost a couple of times in there. The little map, like if you've ever been to Disney World or something, those little maps that like tell you where everything is, they're integral to you having fun at Disney World so you don't get lost. These maps are important. And so what this serves as, what this kind of helps us to see when we look at this scripture, is kind of a map to understand how God wants us to navigate the Christian life. So we pick up in Exodus chapter 15. And Moses is going to sing. Now, I don't know how Moses sang. I don't know if he was a good singer, but he wrote a song. You don't think of Moses as a singer. What do you think of when you think of Moses? Maybe a beard? Maybe the parting of the Red Sea, the big staff? You may think a lot of things about Moses. You may think like old Charlton Heston from like way back in the day, or you may think Prince of Egypt, those of you who are like in the 90s, and some of you kids have maybe seen it. The Whitney, you know what I'm talking about? You ever seen the Prince of Egypt? Okay, you may think of Moses that way. But here's what we got. Moses is going to get his songwriter on. So this is Exodus chapter 15, verse 1. He says this, So Moses, and this is after God has saved his people from the Red Sea. If you remember this story, God parts the sea, and the people walk across the sea in safety. But then the Egyptian army gets there with all of their battle armor, and God crushes them under the water, and God saves his people yet again. So Moses, in reaction to this, writes a song about that. Then Moses and the people of Israel sang this song to the Lord, saying, I will sing to the Lord, for he triumphed gloriously. The horse and his rider he has thrown into the sea. The Lord is my strength and my song. He has become my salvation. This is my God, and I will praise him, my father's God, and I will exalt in him. The Lord is a man of war. The Lord is his name. Pharaoh's chariots and his hosts he has cast into the sea. Now jump down to verse 13. He has led, or you have led in your steadfast love the people whom you have redeemed. You have guided them by your strength to your holy abode. So that's what I was talking about. God is guiding his people to this place he has for them. And, and there's this song that breaks out. Now, when we, we sing a lot of songs to celebrate a lot of things. You know that, right? For example, if there's a birthday, what song do you sing? Happy birthday. Come on, everybody. You know how to sing this song. Ready? Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday. 
so-and-so, happy birthday to you. So we sing a song of celebration. If you're at the Mexican restaurants, they usually put a sombrero on you and smack you in the face whipped cream. If you're over here at Hartsville Taco, it's fun, okay? So those are the things. We have these things that songs kind of come out of that. Okay, when when you uh, when somebody wins a championship, like last night I was watching the basketball game and the Toronto Raptors they won the Eastern Conference Finals. And some of you don't care about that, but you know what they do? They play songs. They play. It's celebratory. They shoot confetti in the air and they play "We Are the Champions" or "Celebrate Good Times" or some, any one of those songs to get it. It's natural for us to respond to joyful events with a song. Singing is part of who we are, especially as believers. From the Old Testament to the New Testament, God's people have always been a singing people. And again, it's weird. Besides national anthems at sporting events, usually you don't get together with a big group of people to sing unless it's at a church. God's, or maybe a concert, but God's people sing it's what we do. It's a way of celebrating. It's, we, we know this instinctively. And so here's what we see. God has done this great work. The, the people were trapped between the biggest army in the world and drowning in a sea. And God parted the sea and made the ground solid, dry, enough for them to walk across. Then Pharaoh and all of his chariots were like the tanks of the time. When they rolled through, then God shut the waters on them and crushed them, and he saved his people. And their response is a celebration. Now I want you to see, get this, okay? The celebration, it occurs before they had reached the promised land. All right? Because they're talking about God's got this place for them. They still got a lot more things to do, right? They're going to, if you know, Exodus is like 50 or 40 something chapters. So there's a whole lot more that's going to take place in the Exodus. But God's people stop and they sing and they celebrate. And then it gets a little further. I want to show you the celebration gets a little raucous. One that might make us feel a little bit uncomfortable. One which I hope never happens here because of the tambourine, okay? And tambourine is a, an instrument that can go real wrong real fast, okay? Music teacher's laughing at that. Thank you for getting that. So look, go down to verse 20 of Exodus chapter 15. Then Miriam, the prophetess, the sister of Aaron, took a tambourine in her hand. Usually, that's a bad thing. Because if anybody gets a tambourine, I, you, anybody ever played a tambourine or tried to play a tambourine before? It's incredibly difficult to keep rhythm with a tambourine. And usually what it sounds like is just just noise. So Miriam gets out a tambourine in her hand. And then all the women went out after her with a tambourine and dancing. And Miriam sang to them. It's like this conga line for the Lord, okay, with a tambourine leading. It's very strange. This is Old Testament. I'm not saying we need to do that now. <laughs> the New Testament calls for order in our services, so we will not be doing a praise conga line. Just want you to know that. But there is some seriousness here and some, some serious celebration, because this is what they sing. They say, and this is in verse 21, Sing to the Lord, for he has triumphed gloriously. The horse and his rider has thrown us into the sea. Now, our, our tendency is to think about not what the Lord has done for us, but to think about what still has to be done. Do you know what I mean? See, they have been redeemed through the Red Sea. God parted it for them. 
but there's still a lot more wandering to go before they reach their final destination. And it's a tendency in us, and, and it's, it's in human beings, for us to not consider and remember what God has done, but to think about what's left to do and what obstacles lay in our path. And you know what that does? It steals our joy, and it keeps us from celebrating. And so get this. Part of what it means to follow God is that you are going to celebrate victories that he brings in your life and not look only to the obstacles that lay ahead. Celebration should be a part of your life. Not, not with a tambourine necessarily, okay? If that's your, if that's your thing, then when, you get, when something happens, when your team scores a point and you want to get your tambourine out, or God does something in your life, you want to grab some tambourines, great, just leave them at home. Don't bring them here, Okay. But use them, at, use them at the house as much as you want to. Put some songs on, tambourine, all you want to, all right? But get, there is a, a moment of celebration. We miss out on the fact of God doing things for us because we think about all the things that still need to be done. We miss the answer to prayers. How many times have you prayed for something, you've received it, and then the next time you realize this, that you did not tell God thank you or give him praise for it, and you're just asking for something else? Happened to me this week about three, four, maybe six times. Because I was, it was just, God just was, because you know, I have to deal with this a lot more than you guys have to deal with it. You only got to hear about this passage of scripture like once a week. I got the whole week to deal with it, okay? So the Lord's just pounding my heart like saying, you asked for this and, and, you, and, I, and I gave it to you. It's an answer to prayer. And now you're asking me something else without saying thank you. Can you imagine a situation in which you got your kids a ton of presents for their birthday or Christmas or whatever and they did not utter one thank you. And at the end of the presence being open, they said, is that it? Would you like that? Is that going to make you feel warm and gooey about your parenting? Is that going to make you feel warm and gooey towards your kids? No, you're going to want to drop kick them and then go curl in the corner. Like, what am I doing wrong? Okay. I've been there. That's how I know the feeling. Okay. Because why? Gratitude and celebration are a right part of people who receive things that they don't deserve. And God's people, there's a lot more to go. There's a lot of journey left. There's a lot of things he's going to have to come through for. In fact, the next section, they're, they're going to be needy again, and they're going to forget. But we cannot forget this, that we must take time to celebrate and to enjoy. And, 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 and to not just enjoy, but to enjoy in a way that we glorify God and remember him as the reason for our victory. It's, it's, really, it's really important that we remember to celebrate. And, you know, Sunday mornings are a celebration. They should be, okay? There are some churches that do celebration better than others. We got a good spirit, but we're not the kind of hooting, hollering, and celebrating type. I love going. I love going to different types of churches and being. When we went down to uh, First Baptist, I went down. They, we had an associational meeting at First Baptist Church on Winchester Street, which is a historically African American church in Gallatin, and they came out with their their praise band. Woo, son, that was good. Okay, I was like, hey, that's all I got. That's that's all I got. I, I don't have any rhythm. It's not good dancing. It just is what it is. But they know how to celebrate. And their music was uplifting, and, and it, was, it was definitely Jesus-centered and about the gospel. 
But there was a joy and a celebration of that. And just, you know, music doesn't have to be like that for you to celebrate. But when we come together Sundays, we are celebrating the resurrection. Every Sunday is the Lord's Day, and we celebrate the resurrection of Jesus. And even when we come in with the knowing, like, like we just sang in that song, knowing that the world is broken, knowing that there's sin, knowing that there's more battles ahead to fight, knowing all those things, there is still time to celebrate. Because when we come together and we take communion, we know for a fact that Jesus lived a perfect life. He died on the cross for us, willingly giving of himself, and that he is raised on the third day, and he will keep his promises. And so there's a reason for celebrating. God has saved us. He saved his people in the past. He saves his people through Christ now, which all these events were pointing towards. And and what we see is that there is time for celebration. There's a time to take a breath. There's a time to take a break from the next battle you got to fight to tell God thank you for all the battles and victories he's won in your life now. And there's a time to do that. And so next week when we do church at the park, that's a celebration of God's faithfulness. Because next week, just in case you weren't here and didn't know, next week we're going to have church at the park over here in Trey Park. That was started because of a gas leak, okay? And now it's become one of our favorite if we have traditions, that is one of them, okay? I don't know if we have them, but that is one of them. And we go there, and we're, go- we're going to worship the Lord outside in his creation, and we're going to celebrate. And the way we're going to celebrate, we're going to celebrate our church family. We're going to celebrate God's goodness to us. We're going to celebrate a, a providence that was weird, having gas in your church. We're going to celebrate what God has done and go outside and enjoy that, and it's going to be a celebration. We're going to open Pepsis and Diet Pepsis, whatever you want. We're going to eat some hamburgers and hot dogs. They're not going to be good for you. We're going to eat them to the glory of God, and there's going to be a time to celebrate because God is faithful, and he is good, and he's given us each other, and he's given us the Spirit. He's given us his word. He has saved us in Christ. We have promises that will not fail, and so there are, there are reasons for us to celebrate. Yes, there's a battle to be fought. Yes, there's more to do, but now, right here in this moment, we need to take time to celebrate and praise God for what he has done. Again, don't bring a tambourine to church. I cannot stress that more, Okay? But I say, if you need to get it, it, celebration needs to be a part of the Christian life. Yes, repentance. Yes, understanding of sin. Yes, all these things. But celebration should be part of the life that God leads. Secondly, we see this. Now, we're going to see from, we're going to go from celebration to see a pattern. Look in verse 22. Then Moses made Israel set out from the Red Sea. And they went into the wilderness of Shur. And they went three days in the wilderness, and they found no water. That is a significant thing. It was not like they're backpacking around a lot of bottle, a lot of the Dasani or something, okay? They probably keep some with them, but they're not finding anything to repl- replenish their water supply. Now, remember, the people of Israel, there's about 2 million people that are being led out of Egypt, that were led through the Red Sea, that are going into this wilderness. 2 million people. That's a lot of people. Right? Can we agree on that? Plus, you got all their livestock, which we know something about livestock out here in Trousdale County. Am I right? So they have all the livestock that need, need to eat the you know, vegetation, plus they need water. So this is three days, no water in a wilderness. And this is not just a wilderness like you would see out here in Tennessee. This is desert wilderness. So you got three days, no water, and everybody's getting a little bit cranky, I can imagine, plus a little bit concerned about this situation. Verse 23, when they came to Merah, 
they could not drink the water at Merah because it was bitter. Therefore, it was named Merah. Merah means bitterness, okay? So they came to this place called Bitter, and, they were, and then they found out that the water is bitter. Now, what does that mean? It, it, it means that it was unsuitable for them to drink, okay? For whatever reason, we don't know exactly what it meant for it to be better, whether it was diseased water, whether it was contaminated with something, or whether it just tasted terrible and nobody could do it. Maybe it smelled like sulfur. We don't know. So in, Mer- in Mara, there was this bitter spring. So after three days of no water, and obviously their supplies of water would be dwindling, and then there's a desperation mode that's hitting in because you know you can't go that long without water, right? Like, it's, I think it's, uh, I think you're getting about two, three days, and you're going to get dehydrated, and you're going to be injured. Thank you. I have a medical professional going, you're right. <laughs> Good. Two or three days, and you are, you are getting close to the point of death. Now, they probably have brought some, you know, camel skins or, you know, some type of skin filled with water with them, but their resources are deplenishing, and they've ride, they come up to this place, and they see the water, and they're like, yes, finally, we get to drink it. They drink it. They're like, ooh, this is bitter. What's this place called? Bitter. Oh, well, there you go. And so they have reached their salvation, they thought. And they jumped in, and it was not good. It's kind of like a couple of years ago, I was in South Carolina with my family. Uh, I got invited to do this retreat, and we were staying on um, near Hilton Head. No, not Hilton Head. What's the other one, Uh, the big place in South Carolina? You know what I'm talking about? Myrtle Beach, that's the one, okay? Really made an impression on me, obviously. So we're at Myrtle Beach, and we had been out all day, and we had done all this stuff, and at the end of the night, me and my son and um, my wife and my, um, my niece, they were all with us, and I said, hey, let's go jump in the pool. And it was the indoor pool at the hotel. So we all, after a long day, we jumped in, and as soon as we did, it was so warm. Like uncomfortably warm for the summer. Like, this is probably not just water warm. It was uncomfortably warm. And then as we, and it looked beautiful when we saw it. It was like, yay, it's going to be nice. It's, it's been hot. We're going to get refreshed. And then we jump in and it's like, like a, like bath water, like lukewarm bath water warm, which is fine. You know, it's not good for a bath, but when you get it's you, I, immediately we knew something was wrong. We all looked at each other. And as we jumped in and then we felt that we noticed there was sediment and all sorts of weird stuff in this pool with us just floating. And so we stayed in for an hour like idiots The next morning, I woke up with my right eye shut. I was at a middle. I was leading worship for 120 middle schoolers at this time, and I got pink eye. So you know, none of them could like go with anything like, "What's wrong with your eye, man?" So I had to go to the walk-in clinic. I got drops, and like I was wearing glasses so they wouldn't notice that I don't even wear glasses, but I bought glasses so that they wouldn't like look directly at my eye. So it was literally so funky. All that to say, this is what happened when they went to Mara. They thought they were getting one thing, finally water, and they get there and it's bitter. Now, who's led them there? God, Moses, but God. God through Moses. And so God has led him to Merah on purpose. Remember, God is providential. He's leading. And then we get this in verse 24. And the people 
Now, remember what would just happen. Remember, Moses is like, everybody, let's sing. And he gets out his guitar. And it, after they sing Kumbaya, then they sing the song of Moses, okay? They didn't sing Kumbaya. That's a joke. And then they get to the point, and then Mir- they're getting jazzed about what the Lord has done. And Miriam grabs her tambourine. We're like, Again, don't bring your tambourine to church. And then she gets her tambourine, and everybody's like, let's go. And we're singing with her. And they're like, man, God is so good. He saved us. Let's celebrate good times. God's good. Then they, then... They leave, and they got no water. They get nervous, and they find water, and they're like, God did it. And it was like that pool in Myrtle Beach. Oh, this is not good. This is bitter. So do you know what their response is? It ain't with a tambourine or a song. Look, and the people grumbled against Moses. And again, Moses to the people is God's leader, so when they mumble, mumble against, and grumble against Moses, they're grumbling against God. And so they grumbled against God saying, what, or against Moses saying, what shall we drink? And he cried to the Lord and the Lord showed him a log and he threw it into the water and the water became sweet. So God hears the grumbling that's happened towards Moses. So I can't believe it. Remember the people grumbled against Moses and God in the previous, right before he saved them in the wilderness? Or right before they saved him in the Red Sea, they were like, don't we have graves in Egypt? We told you we didn't want to leave. And then God does this great thing, and they sing, and they party. And then bad things come in again, and they're like, oh, what are we going to do? What are we going to drink? It's like taking a kid anywhere. I love you kids. But you know you're needy, right? I love you. see that. I have a bunch of kids in here. I love you. But I mean, if a kid's blood sugar drops they will cut you okay they become gremlins it's like the opposite i mean it's like i mean it's like i need a snack i want to cut you and you're like wow i need fruit snacks in my purse. that's why you ladies carry like sub sandwiches in your purse it's for blood sugar issues with your kids you know and so they're i'm thirsty have you ever heard that before? i'm thirsty get some drink that's what the people are doing i'm so thirsty So God makes a way, and here's what he does. Verse 25, he cried to the Lord, and the Lord showed him a log. Just a piece of wood. And he threw it into the water, and the water became sweet. I don't know why he chose a log. I don't think there's anything special about it. (laughs) Moses gets it, and he throws it in. And as soon as he throws it in, God does a miracle. I guess he wanted to show the people that, that... Moses doing this act that God was working in and through Moses. And so he addresses their grumbling by throwing this into the water source at Merah, which means bitter. And then the bitter water becomes sweet, which doesn't necessarily mean it's like got high fructose corn syrup or anything in it. It just means it doesn't taste bitter anymore. It is now fit to drink. And God has come through for his people yet again. And I want you to recognize something. There's a pattern. This is the pattern, and you're going to see this all throughout the Scripture, and patterns are important, okay? And here's one of the patterns, and you need to recognize these patterns. We need to remember to celebrate, but we need to remember these stories help us see a pattern. Here's the thing. God's people are in trouble. God, we need your help. We're in slavery. God, we need your help. We don't have anything to drink. God, we need your help. We don't have anything to eat. God, we need your help. God, we need your help. Have you ever said that prayer, by the way? God, I need you. Come through, please. God, I need you. And then, you know what he does? Because he's good. Not because we deserve it, because he's good. He comes through in ways. He comes through. And we go, we celebrate. Hopefully we don't forget. 
Hopefully we're not like the lepers who came to Jesus. Remember the, nine, the ten lepers? Nine went away and they never gave thanks and one came and did. We want to be the one and not the nine, okay? So hopefully we celebrate and thank God for what he's done. And then you know what happens? The next thing comes into our life. And here's how the cycle goes. God, I don't know what you're doing. Why are you doing this? Help me. I don't know. Have you ever done anything like this? Have you ever seen anything big like this before? Help me. Help me. Help me. And then you know what he does? He comes through. And he saves his people, and they go, yay, celebrate good times. And then you know what happens? Bad things happen again, and they're like, help me, okay? Look in the Bible, especially the Old Testament. It happens again and again and again and again. You can do two things with that. Number one, you can justify your behavior. It's never good to use the word justify and behavior together, okay? Never good. Don't do that. Because that's how you get into a lot of things you, don't, you know are wrong, but you do them anyway because you've justified it or you explained it away. Do not do that. You can justify our situation. Like, I, it's right for me to go all over the place, to be, to be God help me, God save me, God help me, I'm going to do my own thing again, God help me. You could get in that pattern. And we all, in, in a lot of ways, we have that pattern in life. You can justify it, say, well, that's how it is, has been from the beginning. excuse me, and so I'm going to keep doing that. I can justify that behavior, or you can do this. You can recognize the pattern so you can reduce the time that you wallow in self-pity and doubt God. You can justify your behavior, or you can recognize the pattern in Scripture and understand that it's there to help you avoid sin. It's like what it says in 1 Corinthians 10, 6. Now these things, talking about the Exodus, these things took place as examples to us that we might not desire evil as they did. And so when we see this pattern, it's to help us recognize patterns in our own life of sin so that we might reduce the time we spend in unbelief and sin. Do you know what I'm saying? Like, let me give you an example. You might struggle with anger, okay? Or you might struggle with faith. You might, you might have faith. Well, I think at a certain extent, we all have some faith issues. We, we believe, we, like the guy that came to Jesus, we believe but help our unbelief. And so maybe you're having struggles with your finances, okay? And maybe you brought it on yourself because you did something dumb. You bought something dumb. You, you, you went to the mall, and that guy who was trying to sell you a timeshare, you bought it for some reason. Because I don't know why. And you got these, you, maybe you did it. So you're crying out to God for help and relief. And he saves you and he comes through for you. And you give him all the glory and praise. But then it cycles through again. The same pattern exists, and then you come, become, when, when the next financial crisis hits, you didn't save anything, you weren't following the Lord's financial principles, and you get to this place where you're, again, doubting God, you're at the lowest dumps. And here's the thing. You can cycle through those patterns, or you can recognize those patterns as a way, and then follow the Lord and walk in truth, and so you might not stay in those seasons as long. Because anytime something comes in our life, despair or a difficulty, you know, a lot of times our, we want to give up. We want to doubt God. We forget all of the ways he's come through for us in the past. Our faith seems to falter. He does come through for us. But we can, when we learn from this pattern, we can say, no, I know when I get to this situation, I need to fight my feelings with faith. Do you know our feelings are very strong? 
but they're often stupid. Just want you to know that. I say that in love, knowing that I'm saying about my feelings. Oh, you feel that way? Oh, really? Big whoop. If we acted on every one of our feelings, we'd all be in jail. If we acted on every one of our feelings, if I acted on it, let's put it this way, if I acted on every one of my feelings, I would have committed murder on the road a hundred times plus. You don't act on your feelings. Our feelings are dumb. I know you want to hear they're valid, okay? It's valid to have emotions and feelings. It is invalid to always act on them. That's an impulse control problem, also known as sin. And so what we see here is we need to recognize the pattern. And the recognizing is saying, God, this is how we people operate, when they're, even God's people. And now through the power of the Spirit, I want to reduce the amount that I operate in the flesh and the more I operate in the Spirit. And recognizing the pattern is the first point in minimizing or reducing how much you react to these situations and how much you can break the pattern of sin in your own life. If you were to think, there is, in each and every one of our lives, there is a sin that, that you really struggle with, maybe more, more than one, but at least one. And I bet you, if you thought about it and you considered it, there's a pattern to that sin. Usually that sin happens when you're down in the dumps and you're, and you're not walking uh, with the shield of faith up, if you will. The full armor of God has been placed in the closet. And you're tired, and you feel defeated, or you feel that you've been, you feel left out, or whatever. And then you recognize the pattern of how that sin. Then you give in and say, "Well, if I just do this now, I will feel better." And so I want to walk in this sin. And then immediately you're grieved by that sin. Maybe it's not immediately, but eventually you're grieved by that sin. You cry for God to help you, and then when we see that there are patterns of sin in our lives and we need to, by the power of the Spirit, recognize those patterns so God can help us break those patterns through his goodness in our life. That's called sanctification, being made more like him. So here's, we see the pattern. Finally, I want you to see this. God, even in the pattern of our sins, here's the good thing. When we're unfaithful, God is faithful. When we fall there is grace. Do you remember the parable of the prodigal son, the guy who said, Dad, I want my, I want my inheritance, and I'm going to take off. I'm going to live how I want to live. Do you know what the father does when he comes back? He receives him back in, and he goes and hugs him, and he's been waiting for him. That is the graciousness of God and his providential care to us. He gave the people water, took it from being bitter to being sweet. And then we see this in verse 25 at the end of that. It says, There the Lord made for them a statue and a rule, and he tested them saying, if you diligently listen to the voice of the Lord your God and do that which is right in his eyes and give ear to his commandments and keep all of his statutes, I will put none of the diseases on you that I put on the Egyptians, for I am the Lord your healer. And so God uses this particular situation to teach them a lesson and to test them, to, to show them that they, not, they, not need, they don't need to walk like the Egyptians, but God wants to heal them and not bring the same afflictions on them. Have you been to this point? I want you to get this. If you are in Jesus, God is for you. I, I just need you to hear that. Because God doesn't want to bring the pestilence on them like the Egyptians. He wants them to obey, and he wants them... Like, God, I just told you, God loves, he loves his people. He loves everybody to a certain extent, but and he covenant loves his people. Like, he loves you. He loves you in your pattern and your cycles. 
although he wants to help break those by the power of the Spirit. He loves you in your despair and in your joy. He loves you. Because that's what he does. He does not want to visit these things on the people. And you know why he took them to Merah? To show them that and to test them. God never tempts anybody. We know that from James. We know he's perfectly holy and good, and he never brings anything. He doesn't ever want you to sin, but he does bring tests. And you know what the tests are for? They're not to, they're not, they're not to see if you're going to fail. The tests are there to strengthen your faith. Because even, here's the beautiful thing about God's economy. Even when you fail at one of God's tests, he has grace to, to, to lift you up. And how many times do we learn from our failures more than we learn from our victories? That is how our God works. And that's why we have to know he's radically for us. He's not one of those teachers. Did you ever have one of those teachers in school that you thought they were always trying to trick you? Do you ever, do you ever have one of those? Like you're like, you're reading, and you, you read every question four or five times, and you're like, wait a minute. There's got to be a booby trap in this. No, God is like one of those teachers who gives you like a great study guide. You remember that one? And it's like, if you look on page two, this question's going to be on the test. So the only way you can mess it up is if you're real dumb. But here's the thing. Sin makes you dumb. You still mess it up. So what does he do? He keeps giving grace because he, he is for his people. If you are in Christ, he's for you. He does not want to visit the plagues of Egypt on the people. He is the Lord, their hearer, but he is there for a test. God sends us through tests for our good and for his glory. He never tempts anybody, but he sends tests. And he is there in the midst of them. And he's trying to teach us something. And this is part of his providential care. By providential, I mean the way that God orders and orchestrates the world and and the cosmos. And he especially orders and circumstances his people's lives. And part of God's care for you is tests. Because he loves this people. And he brings tests to them in Merah. And God set this statue up for them to remember this. And then finally, verse 27. And they came to Elam, where there were 12 springs of water, and 70 palm trees, and then camp there by the water. Now, this is my favorite sentence, and you could, you could gloss over this, okay, because it just sounds like a travel-like description. So then they went from Merah, which means bitter, to this place called Elam, and there, but remember, they had been three days without water, then they show up at Merah, what happens? They drink the water, and they're like, it's like the pool in, in Myrtle Beach, like, oh, gosh, what? Finally, water, and it tastes like this. And God provides for them. Moses throws the log in there, and it becomes sweet. And they're like, yeah. And then God leads them after, after the grumbling and the complaining and then showing them that he's for them and then testing them to help them know that grumbling, <coughs> excuse me, grumbling and complaining is not the way to walk. And he's, in, he's addressing the pattern of their sin. He gets to this place. He leads them to, in the desert, what would be, did you ever watch a cartoon when you were a kid? And the, the cartoon character was out in the desert, and they were dying of thirst. They were like, <gasps> maybe it was Bugs Bunny or, or one of those cartoon characters. And they see off in the distance an oasis with palm trees and grass. And the desert blooms of green. 
And so the cartoon character does a thing, you know, they dis, you know, like their, their hips go out and they, they you know, road runner, and they go, and they get there, and the bugs or whoever jumps into the water, and they land, and it was only a mirage. It looked like heaven on earth, and it turned into being a mirage. Well, God did not lead his people to a mirage. He overblessed. Okay, they had sweet water and marrow, but he leads them to the place that's got these big trees for shade and water aplenty, seven wells, seven, seven bodies of water in the desert. This is a place of joy. So after God has led his people through the test, he leads them to a time of provision and recuperation. And that's also a pattern, too. I want you to know we notice the pattern of our sin. but We need to notice the pattern of our God. The pattern of our God is to bring tests. It is to show grace. It is to bless far exceedingly more than we can imagine. And didn't didn't God bless us more than we could imagine in Christ? For example, what I mean by that is it could be enough that Christ's death was just sufficient enough to pardon us for sin so we would not have to suffer hell. That would be enough, because hell is the, the wrath of God, and this is the almighty, holy God. So it would, it, that would be enough if, in our minds if, if we just had our sins washed away, but we don't, he doesn't end there. What does he do? Not just does Jesus wash our sins away, but he adopts us into the family, and we become his kids. Not only do we become his kids, we become heirs all he has so we have a seat at the table we got the family name we got this eternity with him that's going to come to earth like he's not just going to we're not going to live in ethereal heaven one day he's going to make everything right and turn our planet into a new planet redeemed planet a new heavens and a new earth a new cosmos a new universe a new galaxy all for his glory. And it would be enough if he just kept us from wrath, but he lavished his love upon us. And it could have been enough that he just gave them that break at Mara and he showed them that he was for them. But then, or he told them he was for them, but then he shows them again that he's for them. And he takes them to this place of provision, a place that has all that they need plus. And that is the lavish grace and goodness of our God. And it's, it's depicted in the Old Testament and it's seen even further in the New Testament with Christ. Because here, you will not live forever and neither will I. But the mercies of the Lord will follow us all the days of our life and we will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. We have promises that far outweigh a land because we have a new heavens and a new earth. We have a possession with the Father. We can say this, that we are Jesus's and Jesus is ours. And you may, I think somebody in this place needed to hear this today. That you need to take a minute and realize when God has done a work of salvation, a good work of grace in your life, celebration is necessary. It's a good thing for us, and you need to do it. Secondly, you need to recognize patterns of sin in your life because you see how devastating it was for Israel. And these are here for us to recognize, not that we won't have patterns of sin, but that we will recognize them and we reduce them in our lives to the power of the Spirit. And finally, we need to see this, that God providentially cares for us. 
He providentially cares for us as a body of believers, but he also providentially cares for, for us as individual believers. He cares for us, and he gives tests, and he gives abundant blessing. So wherever you are right now, I want you to know this. If you are in the depths, you're having health problems, or you're having whatever, that you remember, if you're in Christ, he's for you. The test is for you and for your good. And a day of provision is coming. And if you're right now, if you're in a day, if you're in a moment of joy and just blasting in his blessings, just remember this is his providential care too. Don't worship the blessing more than the one who blesses. These are all, our lives are hard to live, but it's especially hard when we forget God's providential care and that we need to take time to celebrate. Because our celebrations of what God has done right now are foreshadowing of the great celebration we will have when we become his people. When all sin is done away with and we, when our faith becomes sight. And as you walk, and your road is hard or your road is easy, know this, that his hand is leading. Would you do, this, do me a favor and let's pray together. Father, um, we're just thankful for what you've done for us, for your care for us. We celebrate what you've done for Israel, and we celebrate what you've done for us in Christ. God, as we celebrate Memorial Day and we remember those who sacrificed that we might have freedom here in this country, God, we're thankful for those folks, and we're thankful for that freedom. But we want to remember here, as we celebrate that freedom, that there's a greater freedom in you. And so I pray, as we walk as, as, a, as a congregation and as we walk as a people, can we remember, help us remember to celebrate and take time to rejoice at the things you've done, to deal with patterns of sin in our life, and God, to always remember your great providential care for us, that you're with us in the dark valleys and you're, really, you're with us on the mountaintops, and you're leading all the way. There's not anything that comes into our lives that you don't have a part in. You are in control, God. You're working for our good. We love you, and we, we're just amazed and thankful that you love us. It's good news. In Jesus' name, amen. I want you to, we're going we're gonna to receive these words of benediction. The steadfast love of the Lord endures forever. You walk in that grace. God bless you. You're dismissed.